I want to begin today by asking a few questions to prepare us for hearing and studying a story Jesus told. Please write down your answers to three questions. If you have a pen and paper, then get that out, or you can make a note on your phone with your responses. If you have a good memory, then you can also just remember them too. Question one, where are the two most dangerous places near you? In terms of theft or behavior or bullying or illegal activity, where that might occur, places where you feel a sense of possible danger, write two places down. Maybe it's a certain park after hours, a rough street in your neighborhood, a, a certain house, a school locker room, bullying on the bus or office. Maybe it's outside of a local bar after midnight. I can still remember the street corner where I was beat up by older guys in my neighborhood in my youth. Question two, who are the two people in your life that you know would help you if you were in danger? Write their names down. Maybe it's a family member or a close friend. Last question, jot down two people or two groups of people you would never expect to help you. Could be someone you regard as an enemy or a people group that just rub you the wrong way or a person you honestly don't like. So you got those questions or responses recorded. We're gonna to refer to them later. So now open up your Bibles, please, to God's, God's Word, Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Today, we're gonna to read a, probably one of the most beloved parables that Jesus ever told. It's right up there with the parable of the prodigal son and the sower and the seed. There's so many good lessons in this parable. So let's begin in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Let's pause for a minute to notice who's asking this question here and why. Bible says this person is an expert in the law. He's not a lawyer per se, but a Jewish man who devoted his life to study the first five books written by Moses, which they call the Torah. We have them in our Bibles as Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. In those books, we can find the laws or commands given by God. So this man, he's an expert in God's law and very knowledgeable. And did you notice the reason he's asking a question of Jesus? He wanted to test Jesus. So basically he wants to pose a difficult question so Jesus would answer it and would discredit him in front of people. Many Jewish religious leaders did not respect Jesus or believe he came from God. He asked, what must I do to inherit or gain eternal life? So my first reaction as a person living after we have the benefit of the New Testament is that this isn't even a valid question. We can't do anything to get into heaven. The only way is by what Jesus did. But we continue, verse 26. What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Man's answer shows how those who study the Torah thought obeying God's laws will gain them eternal life. And herein lies the problem. And this is just, just a, isn't just a misguided belief of those long ago. Have you ever heard people today say, in the Old Testament, God's not the same as he is in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, he's all law. In the New Testament, he's all grace. It's a common thought that God operated only by, if you do this, then I will with people who lived on earth before Jesus and then after Jesus. Now, God loves all people and gives grace to all. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that's not true. 
The Old Testament's not only law, and the New Testament isn't only gospel. The way we need to read the scriptures of the Old Testament should not be if you do these things, like follow the Ten Commandments and all these other ceremonial and political laws, then you will be good enough to inherit eternal life. Not at all. The books of the Old Testament clearly speak as to how God graciously chose a group of people to pour out his blessing on them. Didn't have anything to do with their goodness or quality of living righteously. Deuteronomy 7 says it this way, The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, meaning they were mightier than other nations or just more prosperous or righteous. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, we learn that God says, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him. Clearly, it's all God's doing, not ours. The Bible isn't a how-to book, how earning merit, how to earn merit before God. Unfortunately, most of the Pharisees, just like we saw last week, and the teachers of law turned receiving God's grace into something that must be earned. They didn't understand that God always shows his grace first, chooses us first, then we respond by loving him back. That's the way God operates in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. God's not inconsistent. You see, the expert in the law, he's saying, what must I do to inherit? But that's not how inheritance works. Inheritance is a gift. God adopted us without us asking to be adopted or being good enough to be adopted. The inheritance we receive is ours just because we are in God's family. It's God's doing. Let's see what the next part of the interaction is between this man and Jesus, verse 28. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? See, I think Jesus is saying this kind of sarcastically. Jesus knows that if this man tries to live those two commands of loving God and loving neighbor, he will quickly fail. We can't love God fully or always love others selflessly. We fall short and we fail every day because we are all sinners. Jesus knows that the laws of God given in the Torah and in the whole Bible show us our sin so we realize our need for our Savior. The way to eternal life is only by grace through faith. So Jesus masterfully makes up a story, a parable, to really exemplify how God's gracious action is towards us. It's not what we do that gains God's favor. And did you notice it mentioned that the man wanted to justify himself? So he's moved from trying to trap Jesus in a hard question to wanting to, to personally vindicate himself before others, even before God. He asked the follow-up question, and who is my neighbor? In other words, who qualifies to be treated well when I love my neighbor as myself? Because if I can eliminate who I don't have to love, the bad people, the disgusting people, people who would inconvenience me too much, then I might just be able to do this. You see, he assumes by asking who is my neighbor, that some people are not his neighbor. Maybe the expert in the law had a neighbor he didn't like, or perhaps he wanted to get Jesus' approval to dislike non-Jews. You have any hard to get along with neighbors? 
I've certainly had a few neighbors who bugged me over the years. Countries fight with countries. People like us dislike people like them. Politician on opposite sides of the aisle debate and they argue. Coworkers quarrel. Even family members have fights. Why? Because just like the expert in the law who wanted to think he was an all-around good guy, we're fallen, flawed and imperfect people. We have problems with each other. We're a mess. We're sinners. It's true whether we admit it or not. Verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and we saw the man. He passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. When you hear this story that Jesus told to communicate spiritual truths, you might think the priest and the Levite, they were being heartless for avoiding the hurt man. But as people listened to the story back then, they would not think it really odd that those two church officials hurried by. You see, they were doing the, quote, right thing according to the letter of the law. Since God told his people 1,500 years previously that it made you unclean to touch a dead body, the Jews had strict rules about staying far from those who died. There were also many other rules God gave to Moses to keep his chosen people safe. So since this man looked dead, the priest and Levite were religiously right in what they did. And you see the point Jesus is making? It's possible to appear right but actually be wrong. You can fulfill the law outwardly but violate the heart of God. Bible verses may even seem to back you up, but you might be missing the whole picture, the bigger point about God's grace and love. For example, say you have an argument with your best friend or spouse. You may very well have been totally right in your opinion, completely blameless in the way you debated with someone you love dearly, but they still could be upset with the conversation. It could be that humbling yourself and compassionately apologizing to someone for how it made them feel for the sake of loving them is what God is asking you to do. Just like Pastor Joe challenged us weeks ago with what does love require? This lawyer, he wanted Jesus to lay out a definitive answer about the confusing, complex set of variables of who makes up a neighbor. Is it bloodline, race, quality of people? If we're honest with ourselves, sometimes like in these times, as we want to make sense of this COVID-19 pandemic and Black Lives Matter or All Lives Matter debates, we want rules that govern who's our neighbor, who's on my side, what's liberal, what's conservative, Democrat, Republican, pro-life, pro-choice, gay, pride, straight, believer, unbeliever, and on and on. It's ultimately impossible to determine just who is my neighbor and who isn't. And that isn't the question God wants us to ask. Jesus gives this expert in the law the parable using the words, a man with no labels or descriptions whatsoever. We don't know his race, nationality, political affiliation, whether he's married or single, has children, a steady job, attracted to the same sex, identifies as a male or female, an adulterer or drunk. We don't know if he's a good man or a bad man. And so Jesus redirects the lawyer's question. It's not about if he is this or that. It's all about how God wants us to treat others. It's not about who qualifies as our neighbor that deserves to receive love and care. His point is how to be a good neighbor. It's really about how to show God's love to all people. And then the next five verses, it details how a Samaritan went to great lengths to love this stranger. 
The Bible says he took pity on him, bandaged his wounds, poured oil and wine on them to cleanse him, put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. He even gave money for his future medical needs. And what those listening would have been shocked about was that the one who helped was a Samaritan. Samaritans were deeply despised by Jews. They'd rather kill a Samaritan than shake his hand. Jesus might use the label terrorist or serial killer if he was telling the parable today. The very mention was repulsive. This despised Samaritan, an unholy enemy, showed kindness. He loved his neighbor as himself. He helped an arch enemy, a Jew. Then Jesus asked the expert in the law, verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him? Jesus told him, go and do likewise. When Jesus asked which proved to be a neighbor, the expert in the law probably couldn't even say the word Samaritan. That may be why he replied, the one who showed him mercy. He had to admit that the Samaritan showed extreme love. So. Now go back to your list you made of dangerous places. You remember? Imagine getting hurt there. And someone that you did not think would help you actually did. This is what people who were listening to Jesus' parable were feeling when they heard him tell the story with a Samaritan as the hero. Did you catch how Jesus changes the expert in the law's focus? He originally asked, who is his neighbor? He didn't ask how to be a good neighbor. He wanted to list of who he had to be kind to and who he could regard as an enemy and not have God angry with him. Jesus turned that question upside down and showed how you treat a neighbor. I heard it said that this is an example of extreme neighborliness. It's going above and beyond showing kindness. It's self-sacrifice. It, it, it risks looking crazy or outwardly wrong. The Samaritan sacrificed much and even put himself in danger of doing this merciful act. And isn't that what Jesus did for us? He was killed as a criminal when he was innocent. He carried the sin of the world, was given the death penalty on earth, and received the complete wrath of God as he hung on the cross. Why? In order to give the gift of forgiveness to the world. Jesus looked completely wrong so he could make your life and mine completely right. It was a risk. It was selfless. It was counterintuitive. In the words of a popular worship song, it was reckless love. Jesus himself was the good Samaritan in this parable. You're the beat up guy on the side of the road, badly injured, wounded by struggles, sin, imperfections. You're the undesirable heap beat up and traumatized by this broken world and by your own failures. And Jesus, he's the most unlikely savior. In fact, the Bible says before we were Christ followers, we were enemies, spiritually dead in our sins. Yet he stopped for you. He came to heal your wounds. He picked you up and carried you to safety. He paid the price for when he gave his life for you on the cross. This is what Jesus did and who he is to you and to me. Titus chapter 3 describes him this way. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. As I said earlier, God did not make his laws so we will know what to do in order to be good enough to inherit eternal life. He doesn't tell us to behave correctly so we will be righteous enough to be allowed in heaven. His laws show us our sin. 
And once we understand our inability, we realize our need for Jesus as our good Samaritan and the extreme neighborly acts of kindness he alone gives us, then we receive those undeserved gifts from Jesus and we're moved to act like him toward others. God pours his love out through us to those around us, our neighbors. What task did Jesus give the expert in the law at the end? He said, you go and do likewise. Be a self-sacrificial helper to others, anyone in need, even those you regard as enemies, not your neighbors. Our Christian faith is characterized by kindness and self-sacrifice. In verse 33, the phrase, took pity on him, it's a verb connected to Jesus over and over again in the Gospels. In the Greek, phonetically, it sounds like this, splangizomai. It means overflowing compassion, a compassion from deep within. His guts ached for this man. It's a word that refers to a deep and sincere outpouring of the heart for someone, manifested in gracious and generous action. You can't do this on your own, but you can receive it from God, and then it spills out so you can share it with others. Jesus is the Good Samaritan, the most extreme neighbor to you and to me and to all people, and by faith, through his word, he lives in you. By his spirit, he teaches you and gives you everything you need. And because of this, we go and do likewise. Pray for the love of God and Jesus to spill over through you to your neighbors, your family, friends, coworkers, even people not like you and those you might not naturally like. Pray that God would generously show his compassion and love the people who don't deserve it through us. And then may God enable us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our mind, and love our neighbors as ourselves. May they see how amazing Jesus is, our good Samaritan. Amen? Amen.